please don't do that. Uh, we've been all feeling a little under the weather. <laughs> Why are you lying? <laughs> Just kidding. How do you feel? Great. Good. How do you Grand, feel? Wonderful. I feel bloody fantastic. Are you British now? Mm-mm. I'm just bloody. Oh. <laughs> what? <laughs> I don't know. That was gross. <laughs> We're murder of ages. I'm not editing that out, <laughs> but I'm Karen. I'm Marcy. Hey there. Welcome to our bloody mess. I <laughs> <laughs> could go so many different ways. We'll let them decide how they want it to go. Okay. Well, this for is all choose you. your own adventure. It's like fucks out there. <laughs> <laughs> That's why we're here. Exactly. Uh, we're also here because um, we like telling stories about true crime. And, yeah. you know, there's we're, we're new to this podcast world. And with social media and everything. It's, oh, yeah. You know where I'm getting at. Don't be a cunt. That yeah. What talk about? I mean, I just can't with everyone messaging saying that they reviewed us and yeah. that we have to review them back. We had somebody leave us a review and at first we're like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. And they left us a review. It's so cool. It's yay us. And then we got an Instagram message that said, oh my God, we reviewed you and it'd be great if you did the same. Uh, we didn't. And they deleted their review. Yeah. <laughs> Just don't be a cunt. I mean, like, it's Christmas. (laughs) (laughs) Or I, we're just not going to beg people to. No, it needs to be genuine. It needs to be genuine. It's not fair to go around and do a review when you expect something in return. Right. That's messed up. And I'm not going to review people who, honestly, I don't have the time to listen to everyone's podcast. Yeah. So we barely have time to listen to our own. I mean, like, really, we barely have time to like do laundry. <laughs> so, but thank you for being with us. <laughs> we really appreciate it. All if you're still here, you. you might have left already. <laughs> That's okay. Uh, so I experienced something new. Just got back from the Safeway, and I went to Safeway yesterday too. Uh-huh. There is a couple in the produce section, and the guy is bigger. And wearing these little, like, linen shorts. Uh-huh. They're short, but kind of baggy. And he has his hands in his pockets. He's very clearly playing with himself through his pockets of his shorts. Oh. <laughs> so disturbing. Sounds like a bloody mess. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, his uh, girlfriend, partner, or whatever is picking out peppers, and he's just over there. I know, I know. It was not. At a grocery store? At a grocery store. At a grocery store. Why? Anything new experiences for you? Uh, nope. None at all, huh? Mm, nope. Hmm. Not that I can think of. All right, well, one of us does a past murder, pre-1985. One does a post. That's after. right. After. So past and present. Because it's the murder of ages. And I get to go for... Oh, nice. Rip there, Karen. Thank you. Oh, and we also did a county. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We had somebody write in and ask us to cover Chelan County. 
That's right. In Washington. And I didn't. I had to Google exactly what uh, towns were in Chelan County. Have you ever been to Lake Chelan? No. No? No. I went there a million years ago. Ready? Okay. All right. Mine is an unsolved murder that happened in 1975. Your favorite. Mm-hmm. And I couldn't find any information other than Anne Rule's book oh. uh, called Without Pity, her most, Anne Rule's most dangerous killers. It's our good friend. Yeah. Anne Rule. Annie, if I like to call her. <laughs> Back in the day. <laughs> so anyways, I, yeah, couldn't find any more information. And then I found another article. And I was like, oh, great. More information. No, somebody in a blog had copy and pasted Anne Rule's chapter. Oh, my God. On the tumble down shack. And had it as their own. And somebody had actually commented like, oh, great research. Great article. Oh, my God. And I was going to throw in some attitude, leave a comment. But, um, the blog was from 2008, oh. so I decided to let it go. It's a while ago. I was the bigger person. You know, they did a great job plagiarizing. But now it's my turn to plagiarize. Uh, at least you're giving <laughs> our good friend Annie I'm gonna some, some credit. credit. All right, let's get into it. So... Chelan is known for its beautiful fruit, its beautiful lake, and every year people come, young people and migrant workers, to work harvest. So, in the mid-70s, what was our favorite mode of transportation? Hitchhiking. Bikes. Oh. I guess, yeah, hitchhike's not really a mode, huh? Horses. Hitchhiking. Oh. I already said it. Well, I already said it. I was it. answering the question you asked me. <laughs> Uh, horses came in third. Biking was second. Oh, okay. Hitchhiking's number one. See, I was close. <laughs> so, September 30th, 75, Deputy D.B. Mayo received a call from the Schlam Police Department that someone had gone to the farm labor office in town wanting to report a possible rape that had occurred somewhere out in the county. So, Mayo got in touch with Meyer. <laughs> <laughs> And then Colonel Mustard joined. <laughs> uh, so Bill Meyer was the one who found it. He was out. Him and his buddies were out hiking. And they came across an old shack. And inside, quote, a couple of chicks in a shed. I think they'd been raped. But they didn't stick around. They kind of freaked and took off to go find help. Hmm. And Meyer said, I'm afraid they might be dead. I can lead you back there where I saw them. So it took a while because Meyer was lost. When they were hiking, or not, you know, just kind of moseying around, not really sure. Right, right. So it took a little bit while to find the A-frame, and it was down at the end of a rutted road. And as the deputy started toward the shack, a large, gray, husky-looking dog wearing a red bandana came at him barking. Oh, a doggy. And what's weird, the dog's there, but the man who found the chicks in the shed never said anything about seeing a dog huh so meyer told mayo i'm good with animals and insisted so he came out of the car and talked to the dog and was able to calm it down talk to the dog (laughs) (laughs) he could talk to the animals anyways um sorry about that it's like snow white i was thinking dr doolittle uh back to chelan in 1975 Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. uh 
The deputy mayo is starting to wonder if he's walked into a trap because Meyer's able to calm down the dog. But as he made his way into the dark shack, he could see two girls inside and it looks like as if they had been dead for a couple days. Um, one with brown hair. She was still wearing her hiking clothes and boots with her backpack thrown on top of her. The second was blonde, nude, and it looked as if she had put up a fight. Um, she had cuts on her mm. hands. And there was a backpack next to her body. Inside, they found two prescription pill bottles from a pharmacy in Lincoln City, Oregon. Oh. Yeah, a little ways away. Uh, the name was Pat Weedner, and then on the other bottle was for Brad King. They found a purse in the shack as well with $59 in it, and then another tin can that had two $10 bills. So now they're thinking robbery was not the motive right well killing those names aren't theirs right well they don't know they don't know who the girls are but it just sounded like male names so pat wiener that's a girl oh like patty and patricia yeah and then brad king oh my gosh karen you're getting ahead of a story now you know how i feel when i tell my story so brad king spoiler alert is pat's boyfriend okay that they find out in lincoln city uh, the purse had a social security card with an Oregon driver's license with the name Beverly Mae Johnson, 23 years old, and the stats on the license plate said uh, blonde, 110 pounds. So the blonde girl was, there was a blonde smaller than the two. So with some real detective work, they figured out that was Beverly. Got it. They're assuming the other woman to be Pat. Uh, in the second backpack, they found a knife with the initials gb on the handle both women had their throats cut Ugh. Uh, pat wiener who was taller and huskier than her friend probably had no warning because huskier that's, that's such a bad word quote. <laughs> coffee and face. uh muscular just bigger like it bigger okay so she's bigger and uh they, th- they didn't look like she had put up a fight. She had just had her throat slashed. She didn't have any oh other markings. Oh, my gosh. Ugh. Beverly, though, who only weighed 100 pounds, she had fought. She had deep defensive cuts in her hands. So Chief of Detectives, Bill Patterson, believed the girls had been killed in or near the shed. There was blood on the soil that led them, that went from six feet from the entrance. Okay. So there's blood outside, a large puddle of blood outside as well. Even more blood, like 56 feet away, and that was where, and then they found more blood in areas where the dog had dug Mm. in the soil. So the coroner felt the girls were killed sometime on Sunday, the 28th. Uh, They both died from loss of blood due to their throats being slashed. And they did find bruises on Pat's scalp, so maybe she was knocked on the head Mm -hmm. from behind or while she was sleeping and then... So how many killed. days have so they, they were, been dead? They were found the 30th. So a couple days. Oh, okay. And he felt they died on Sunday the 28th. Right. Got so it. yeah, good. Thanks for reminding me because we got to keep our timeline in check a little bit. That's your job. I'm trying. Um, neither victim was sexually assaulted. So they have no idea why that they were murdered. I mean, they weren't raped. Didn't seem to be a motive. And they weren't robbed. Right. All their stuff was still there. Mm-hmm. So days before their death, a migrant worker had encountered 
A migrant counter had a strange. I'm sorry. A migrant reverse worker. that. Yes. Days before the girls died, there was a migrant worker who had an encounter with strange men. So this guy said these three men offered him a ride. And when the ride was going, they told him to give them everything they he had or they would kill him on the spot. Oh, my God. And so then they uh, took his ID and his $35 <laughs> and dumped him out on the side of the road alive. The man described them as hippies with full beards, driving a two-door Chevy or Pontiac. Hmm. So was this the same man that killed the girls? Right. It's unsolved. We don't know. Possibility? I mean, it's kind of a coincidence to crimes like that happen in the span of days. Yeah, but nothing was stolen, like you said. Or oh, that's true. Or they weren't touched mm-hmm. sexually, you know? So a bank teller who commuted down Highway 97 called to say that she had seen... A reddish-brown dog that looked to be, oh, darn it, an Irish, Irish setter mix. So kind of that long, wavy hair dog. Oh, okay. She says she saw him on Sunday the 28th, and then on Monday and Tuesday. He was pacing up and down beside the road as if he was lost, wearing a red bandana. Oh. So at first, police didn't really tie the two together because the they had the husky, you know, thinking that maybe... That was the only dog. Right. Uh, they made contact with Pat and Beverly's families in Lincoln City, and their friends had said that they planned to hitchhike to Wenatchee to find jobs for the apple harvest. And the girls felt extra safe doing this because they had their dogs. Oh. Yeah. No. Very protective Charlie, who was the husky mix, and Silas, the setter mix. Oh. Family and friends also told police that the girls each carried knives. Now, they only found one knife at the scene. Hmm. So, was the other knife the murder weapon? Right. Uh, They were able to locate Patty's boyfriend, Brad King, who was the name on the prescription bottle. Right. But he was not in Lincoln City. He was in Chelan, in jail. Oh. Mm Mm-hmm. He was arrested on October 3rd for being drunk and disorderly. (laughs) What a keeper. Yeah. So that put him at the top spot as the suspect. Right. So he says that he saw Patty and Bev on September 24th, which they had asked um, him to come with them to Chelan for the apple harvest. And he told him, no, he wasn't ready, but he'd meet him up there. So he did come up, but he didn't get to Wenatchee until Tuesday the 29th, and he couldn't find them, so he went ahead and got a job. And worked through the week. And he didn't even know what had happened to them because he was out in the orchards working until Saturday night. So the reason he was arrested is he went into a tavern and heard some guys talking about what happened to Bev and Patty. And he lost his head and went nuts. He says, it's my fault. If I had just gone with them like they'd asked me to, they'd be alive. So he appeared upset, but detectives only really took that at face value. Um, but they were able to talk with friends and co-workers who verified his alibi. And he was taken off the suspect list. Good. Back down to zero. So we have another witness. A waitress who worked at the Mineral Wells Lodge restaurant near the summit of Blewett Pass. But you know where that is, right? No. <laughs> I didn't either. I had to Google map it. Oh, it's 18 miles from Wenatchee. And she came forward saying she saw the girl's thursday the 25th and friday the 26th so the 28th is when they're presumed 
to have been murdered, and they were found the 30th. So she saw them at a diner. They were alone on that Friday evening. I'm sorry, on that Thursday evening. But then breakfast on Friday, they were with two men. Huh. Uh, She remembered the men drove off in the direction of Seattle while the girls waited an hour or so for a ride to Chelan. So Patterson, the detective in Chelan, received a call from an officer in Okanagan County that a man named Jeff Hunt wanted to speak to Patterson about the murders. So this was Hunt's story. I was hitching out of the Dalles, Oregon, he said. I met the two girls there on Thursday at the intersection of the road that goes to Vancouver. They were headed to central Washington, too, and they had two dogs with them. We all caught a ride with a fellow from Vancouver, and he took us to Mineral Springs, which is where the lodge was at, where the waitress saw them. okay. We got in the campgrounds there around 7 that night and decided to camp. So that would have been the long way to get to Wenatchee for the girls. Um, They could have just hitched right on 97, but the detective also said that when you're hitchhiking... You yeah, you really kind of take chooser. whatever you can get. And Hunt said the girls were pretty antisocial until he mentioned apple picking. And then they had a lot of questions. They told him their names, Bev Johnson and Patty Wheatner. So Hunt bought breakfast for them that Friday morning. So those the okay. two men that are with them. He said the guy headed back to Vancouver and Hunt walked towards Kashmir where he caught a ride and never saw the girls go by. But now the waitress says the two men headed towards Seattle. So either... She's misremembering. Right. Or he's lying. So Patterson asked, you know, do you think it's possible the guy from Vancouver changed his mind and came back? Uh, Hunt said, no, he was pretty mellow and he seemed anxious to get to work. And they were going about 70 miles out of the way. And he also, Hunt said, the dogs were very protective and wouldn't let anyone get near Patty or Bev. Oh, wow. So this again, I didn't think about this now, brings me back to the boyfriend. Because if those dogs are so protective, oh. who's someone they know that they're going to let? Close to them. Yeah. It had to have been someone the girls were comfortable with and knew. Brad or... And the dogs were unharmed, mm-hmm. right? So it's not like... They did find the, the setter later. They found his body. He passed away. But not But from not from... Being... No. Hmm. hmm. So now a long-haul truck driver was sure that he had seen the girls with their dogs in Wenatchee on Friday afternoon. So that puts them, and we know their whereabouts, up until Friday afternoon. Stop making so much noise. Sorry. Now I have to edit all that out. (laughs) You don't even edit. (laughs) All right. October 7th, detectives got a call from a constable in Alberta, Canada. They have a man in custody who was talking about how he had murdered two girls near Wenatchee. Hmm. The man was going by the name Manateo Minelli. Turns out his real name was Jack Stoll. (laughs) (laughs) He was being held on forgery and possession of stolen property. Specifically, checks he'd stolen from a man in Vancouver. Hmm. He claimed him and his friend killed two girls by cutting their throats. And he said that his parents lived in Chelan. So 34-year-old Jack Lee Stoll had an extensive criminal record in Washington, Oregon, and California. He was a skinny blonde man with peach fuzz. (laughs) Owen? (laughs) (laughs) So this is his story. He says, me and this guy, Norrie Snell, met these gals near Portland. We drove them west to Hood River. 
The four of us spent the night together, but when Rudy and me woke up, they were gone, and so was $1,500 in cash that belonged to us. Now, this didn't really jive with what Jeff Hunt had told them about the girls getting a ride from the Dalles to Mineral Springs. Right. Oh, Jack continues, we decided to go and look for them and get our money back. We crossed the the Columbia at Biggs Junction and drove into Washington. And we saw them again at a rest stop where they were trying to hitch a ride. It was somewhere between Yakima and Ellensburg. We picked them up again. The detective asked, what day was this? So nobody ever puts them in Yakima or Ellensburg. Right, we don't hear about that. And he says this was the 28th. Which is when they're supposed to be dead. Yeah, Sunday. Or Um, was it the 29th? No, 28th. Okay. And he says, we smoked pot, we drank beer, and they were in Wenatchee, and they went to a tavern. And then he brought his story around so that they're 30 miles from the homicide scene. Even though the first part of his statement was a lot, see, you know, an obvious lie. The victims did find a ride in the Dallas, but not with him or Snell. So then he asked, the detective asked, well, what are their names? What are the girls' names? Because they told Jeff Hunt their names. Right. Um, he said their names were Maud and Franny. <laughs> <laughs> Can that be our Maud and Franny? That's our, our cover names. names. I like it. I gotta be Maud. Why? Because Marcy Maud. I want to be Maud. No, I'm sorry. You're, you're more of a Franny. Not, uh, 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 not you. Don't Look even. At you. Nope. You're Flanny. a Franny. You're wearing flannel. You're Franny. <laughs> Franny and flannel. Stupid. Nope. It is stupid. It's summer and your dresser winter well it's fucking cold in your house it is not feels great okay so now he blames the murder on his friend rudy he said that he thought of it and that he was so stoned on weed and booze that rudy was already slashing them before jack had known what happened he said one girl was dead and then he made me help him kill franny (laughs) the fuck (laughs) which you i mean we don't even know because it doesn't really seem like, I guess maybe Beverly was the one that put up a fight, so she could have been Franny if he needed help. Right. But, I mean, who knows? And I just lost I my mean, place. that could make sense. So they were upset because these girls stole $1,500 from them, mm-hmm. which, you know, these two girls are hitchhiking and... You know, obviously, they don't have a lot of money. Yeah. I don't know. So here's where his story doesn't make sense either. So Patty and Beverly, they were in Wenatchee on the 25th. I mean, there's a couple different eyewitnesses. Oh, okay. The server and the truck driver. So then they would have had to retrace their steps and gone 300 miles back to Hood River if they Mm. were picked up when he says he picked them up. Right. Because they had almost reached Chelan on Friday. So why backtrack? Yeah, it just wasn't making sense. So it was obviously a lie, um, but detectives were sure that he had been to the crime scene. His boots were almost an exact match for a print that they found outside of the shack. And so investigators used the term confabulating. So he's mixing fact with imagination. Got it. Got it. Yeah. It's his confabulation. I like that word. I like it too. It's fun. Confabulation. Uh Uh-huh. Let's just say that for now on. Yeah. Every time we do a cheers, confabulation to you, Karen. Right? Instead of like yeah. cheers, we just say confab- confabulation. <laughs> confab. 
Oh, I like it. Oh, that it. was fab. So fetch. <laughs> so confab. <laughs> so it turns out that Stoll had worked for a family named Minnelli, and they had a son named Manateo. So that's where he got his alias from. Okay. So almost to me, too, that sounds like he's trying to get their son In on trouble. the hook for murder. Yeah. Um, but he, So he did know the Chelan area. Um, Detective Patterson called the Hood River to police to see if a Rudy Snell was even a real person. Mm-hmm. Turns out it was. He said he knew Jack and he had worked in the orchards in Hood River with him. Oh. So Patterson checked with the Hood River Orchard and he learned that Stoll and Snell, uh, they were hired as temporary pickers and they worked September 26th and 27th. However, they failed to show up on Sunday the 28th. Which was the day, uh, time of, you know, the date of death mm-hmm. from the coroner report. They came back the 29th, that Monday, but they only picked up their checks. And the foreman hadn't seen them since. So Rudy Snell told the orchard foreman that he lived in Albany, Oregon. And that his wife was sick, so he had to go home. So the Oregon State Police found out Snell did live in um, Albany. They took search warrant. And they went to go process his vehicle, and Snell, he didn't object because he was in jail on drug charges. <laughs> <laughs> so they did, when they processed his car, they found several white and gray dog hairs. Oh. But he has, I can't remember the breed, but it's a breed like a husky. Uh-huh. So the same type of hair and the same hair color. So that's how that was explained. Got it. And they're also, they didn't find any red well, you know what? I mean, if the one dog was with the girls, the other one, I guess, could have been left. But I don't know how would the dogs even let these guys get... Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Uh, because a husky's not a small dog. No. At all. And neither is a setter. Um, so while Jack was skinny, Rudy was very big. And he weighed more than... I mean, husky. <laughs> he weighed more than 250 pounds. Oh, yeah. So I guess it might have been easy for him to overpower the dogs yeah but it seems like he'd have some bite wounds or something you know maybe he had a taser or a sedative oh that's true or just some bacon who knows yeah (laughs) some cheeseburgers (laughs) um scooby snacks so he says that they never left yeah scooby snacks i just now heard that (laughs) (laughs) would you do it for two scooby snacks (laughs) uh we never left he says they never left the hood river area and they worked the 26th and the, 7th, and the 27th, getting off around 3 p.m. on Saturday. He does remember that Jack had met two girls, and he gave them their description, but they didn't sound like the two girls that were murdered in Chelan. He says they drove over to Biggs Junction and spent the night, but they were back in Hood River before noon on Sunday. And he worked on his car Sunday afternoon, and they started picking again on Monday morning. But the foreman says they did not pick on Monday. They just picked up their checks. Hmm. The only picking they did. So both of their stories are kind of like yeah. something something happened. Um. So they decided to give him a, a polygraph. Our good old friend Polly. Mm. Uh, I guess in the he, 70s though. He's really the only thing you can do. Yeah. Yeah, I know. They don't have... Because one of the girls did have... It's kind of gross. A single sperm fell in her vagina. Oh. But they can't test it. 
they don't have the technology yet. Yeah. And there weren't any signs of, you know, the bruising or the tearing consistent with rape. And she did ha- um it must have been Pat because she had a boyfriend, so it could have been his. Yeah. So it's and plus you know how tiny a little sperm is. Wait, you mean Brad? Yeah. I think you said Pat. But Pat's oh, the girl. Pat, right? yeah. Pat had a boyfriend. Brad. Brad. There we go. So many names. I know. So Snell took a Rudy took a polygraph and he passed it. And the needles did no jumping. He was straight. Nothing at all. Uh-huh. Jack took one. And there's a quote. He blew ink all over the walls when he took his lie detector <laughs> test. <laughs> Ew. What the hell? That was better than semen. <laughs> or is the ink semen? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Can't run. We're talking about a lie detector test. Mm, whatever. Can't infer that much. It's a bloody mess. It's an inky mess. <laughs> <laughs> um. So even though if he did kill them, he would have had to have been on a really tight schedule because it was 170 miles from Hood River to the murder site. And if Snell was remembering correctly... And was honest. Stoll had been out of his sight from sometime Sunday morning until Monday. So, and Sunday was when the women were believed to have been murdered. He would have had to have caught, and he was hitchhiking. So Stoll would have had to catch a ride that took him all the way to Chelan. And it was possible that he knew about the shack and had gone there to sleep Sunday night. Hoping to go to the Minnelli farm in the morning to ask for one more chance to work for them. Mm-hmm. And if he would have found... Beverly and Patty asleep in his secret camp. But then at the same time, how would they even know about it? It was out in the middle of nowhere. And they, there's nobody else eyewitness that puts them up in the timeline of where they would have met up with Jack and Rudy to be told about their shack. I mean, it makes sense that that might have been what happened if maybe they did meet Rudy and Jack at some point that Rudy's timetable is just off. Uh-huh. Well, then that'd make sense with the killing, too, because Pat could have been just hit on the head if they were sleeping. Oh, that's true. And then true. it woke up mm-hmm. the other girl who put on a fight. Yeah. Right? And then he kills her, and has. then he says, well, I'm just, you know, I might as well just do the other. Right. Oh, think about that. So they, the detectives found a motel in Biggs Junction where Stoll had stayed Wednesday and Thursday, and he paid with his stay with stolen checks. <laughs> and he checked out the morning of the 26th, but he did pick apples the 27th, or the 26th and the 27th, so later that day hmm. he had been picking. So they think it had to be more than mere coincidence that Jack was within 15 miles of where Beverly and Patty were caught their ride on September 24th. So they think maybe he spotted them and stopped to talk as they waited for a ride. Because nobody knew how long they stood there to wait for a ride before they met Jeff and the man from Vancouver. So maybe during that time there, because Jeff had said the girls were pretty antisocial until he talked about apple picking. Right. So maybe Jack starts talking to them about apple picking. This could have been when he tells them about where he stayed or about the shack. Oh. But then they'd have to be so good with directions to remember all that and then find it yeah that would be insane so that's kind of one thought um 
So the thought of two pretty girl, two pretty girls alone out there, far from civilization, could have been enough in Stoll's mind to get him to go back there and try to do something. Maybe, you know, attempt to rape and couldn't follow through or something. I mean, right. he could have knocked out Patty, I guess, and then tried to rape Beverly, but she was able to fight back so much that he didn't get a chance. Yeah. There's just a lot of what ifs. Uh, yeah. So his responses were so emotional and chaotic that it was difficult to interpret the polygraph. Um, so that, with how much he knows about the murder and the shack, it was enough for the prosecutor to charge him with murder. So he's scheduled to go to trial March 76. Uh, the public defender decided to give him a new lie detector test given by Washington State's legendary polygraph expert, Dewey Galepsi. Oh, yeah. I oh, know you him. Heard of, oh. You heard of Dewey? Oh, yeah. He's legendary. <laughs> Isn't Dewey the name of one of the characters from Scary Movie? Isn't he, like, yeah. the brother? Oh, no. Isn't Dewey from, um, I Know What You Did Last Summer? Oh, that's, that's right. That's the yeah. murder, right? Or no. Oh, no, it's no. the cop. Yes. Dave Arquette. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Dewey. All right. So this time, with this polygraph test, he passed. Um, and he was didn't even rela- uh, react to any of the questions before. Or before he was just an emotional mess. Right. Well, he had time to process it. Yeah. It's been over a year later. So you know maybe he stumbled on the murder at the shack and didn't do it. Mm-hmm. But there, here's a little bit of history about Jack. He has some. He has a dark past. Okay. So he's one of nine children. Now, when he was fourteen. He was thrown in jail. Um, He was paroled on four different occasions by youth authorities. He was deeply involved with drugs, and he was diagnosed as suffering from schizophrenia. His rap sheet listed burglary, forgery, assault, vagrancy, parole violation, grand theft, possession of marijuana, and auto theft. Nice. So schizophrenia, I don't know if maybe, you know, he found the crime scene and then just made up this big story in his head to process the trauma of seeing that. Or maybe he even witnessed it. Mm. And um, he was married when he was 25, had two kids, but he left all that behind. Um, he was over, he was suicidal for most of his adult life. Two years before the double murder, he tried to commit suicide with a razor blade oh, wow. that he had hidden under his tongue while in jail. Oh, no. When taken to a doctor, he attempted to hide a scalpel in the bandages. Other, dime, other times, he swallowed hypodermic needles and had to be operated on to remove them. Oh, my god! So he's, he's pretty yeah. – he some mental health issues. Uh, in jail in Chelang County, he slashed his wrist with another razor blade. He had Ugh. managed to secrete – secrete? What the heck? Hide on his person. <laughs> uh, he was sent to Eastern State Hospital to determine if he could stand trial for the murders. He complained of abdominal pain. And he had been admitted, admitting, admitting that he swallowed glass and metal. Oh, my God. Five days later, he hung himself with a leather strap, but he was found and they were able to get him breathing again. Two days after that, he broke the toilet in his cell and thre- threatened to slash his wrist with the sharp porcelain edge if anyone came close to him. He was um, coaxed out by jailers and he tried to cut his wrist, but he ended up just severing a tendon in his hand and he oh. had to be operated on. 
A day later, he managed to pry the cast off and open the incision. And he was rushed back to the hospital where he tried to jump out of the car. Oh, my gosh. So um, he was either insane or trying very hard to make authorities think he was. Yeah. Uh, in the end, the they didn't do the murder trial murder trial because he passed the second lie detector test, and they decided not to pr- pursue the murder charges. But he had enough existing forgery charges hanging over him to send him to prison at the Walla Walla Penitentiary. Yeah, mm. uh, he kept up lively correspondence with Chelan County detectives, court officials, and even media. Um. He insisted that he was guilty and he needed to pay for his crimes. A detective, Jerry, went to Walla Walla many times to speak with him. And he, his conclusion was that Stoll just knew the case so meticulously that he knew just as much as the investigators did. Or he had been there that night mm-hmm. in 75. Because he knew details that had never been published in any media. So yeah, I think maybe he witnessed the crime but it was just too much for him to process right um and he could have felt guilty because he didn't stop it oh that's true you know have that weighing on him right uh stole always changed the subject when the detective would get too close and out of his comfort level so it said that it may be that he knew so much about the scene at the old shelter because he'd been there or he had committed the the murders or that he knew the real killer and got the details from him hmm yeah in 2001 october 2nd 2001 he passed away here in walla walla the penitentiary of natural causes he was 63 years old oh wow and the case still remains open it's crazy because back then they didn't have the technology to do dna testing so they just have to go off of what people say, essentially. And I, 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 how do you even keep track of all that? Like, right. I mean, it's all over, literally all over the map. Literally. But it's hard to convict someone when you don't have legit proof. Uh-huh. And they, they didn't. Right. I mean, they basically had these ramblings. But, mm-hmm. yeah, I think maybe he witnessed it. Because it had to be somebody that could get past the dogs. Somebody that knew them. Is he... But then, how did the that person, if they weren't from Chelan, how would they know where that shack was? Right. Because, I mean, even the people that found it had trouble going back. So, he's the one who knew about the shack? Yeah, he did know about it. So, maybe he was there before the girls were, like, already sleeping or something? I don't know. Like, mm. I don't know how big the shack is or anything. I, I don't think it's very big. But maybe he was already there or he was on his way there when they were already killed or being murdered yeah i don't know so many questions i don't have any answers that's why i don't like unsolved (laughs) (laughs) oh my god i was watching the new uh unsolved mysteries on netflix with my mom is it good it's really good but my mom gets so pissed because she's like so what what happened who killed him (laughs) what happened i'm like that's why it's called unsolved mysteries mother no one knows Good story. Mm. Okie dokie. Um, so I got my information from Wikipedia, WenatchiWorld.com, and CBS News 48 Hours. Oh, baby. Yeah, there was actually quite a lot of stuff. Nice. But there wasn't at the same time. So. Oh. Yeah. I'm intrigued. 
Okay, so this is the murder of Mackenzie Cowell. Oh. So Mackenzie was born on April 1st, 1992, which that was the year I was born. So in 2010, she was a senior at Wenatchee High School. She was a member of the school dance team, worked as a model, and she studied cosmetology at the Wenatchee Academy of Hair Design. So her dad said, like, she was a very um, productive worker like she just was always so good about she was just like a good girl and she just mm-hmm. had so much going on but you know her grades were all great and then she did dance and then Aww. now she's going to hair school you know like oh my gosh she's just had it going on yeah she was right, a future. good girl um so her dad said that she would leave the house at like 6 30 in the morning to go to dance practice and all this stuff and then she wouldn't be home until about dinner time because the hair school closed at like five or six so she's going to hair school while going to high school right oh my god so it she would go after she would go around Jesus. like two or three whatever time she was done at high school so she was a you know That's very good ex- worker crazy. like yeah and then getting good grades on top of it right what i know how oh we we need more of those people Ugh. need to learn how to be one of those people uh, that's true Okay, so Mackenzie was last seen on February 9th, 2010, after 3 p.m. on surveillance video, leaving the Academy of Hair Design, walking to her car, and then driving away. And they actually showed the surveillance video on the 48 hours. And yeah, I mean, it's nothing exciting, but you do, you just see her walking in the parking lot to her car, and then she leaves. And detectives say it's like she just vanished and to nothing, you know? So then, um, so she told classmates um, that she had to go do something really quick. So she asked them, she goes, do I need to sign out if I'm only going to be gone for like 10, 15 minutes? And they said like, no, just, you know, whatever, hurry up, go and come back. And also at around that time, she sent a text to her boyfriend that said, hey, what's up? So that was the last time she is known to have used her phone. I wonder what that 10, 15 minute tour was. Yeah. Hmm. I don't know. Interesting. Um, so then Mackenzie's father attempted to contact her around 540. So the Hair Academy must have closed at 5 or 530 then. Because he called her after he knew that she would be done. um, Because they planned to have burgers that night Mm. for dinner. Um, So he was kind of like, where the heck is she? So I wonder, it might have closed at 5 then. Yeah. If he called 40 minutes later. Um, But his calls went straight to voicemail. So her family obviously became super concerned um, after Mackenzie hasn't shown up uh and apparently she had an eight o'clock curfew later that night a homeowner in remote Shenlan county reported a abandoned car near his driveway police traced the car's registration to mackenzie's father oh no so they called the dad and this was the same day yeah it was that night oh jesus so they called the dad and said um if asked him if he had a car missing 
And he said, yeah, and my oh, daughter, oh like, that's my, my daughter's God. car. That sinking feeling that he must have felt. Right. Oh, so shit. sad. And they were a really close family, he said. Like, um, the mom and dad were divorced. Um, the mom and dad were divorced, and they each had a partner. Oh. But, like, the family, the stepmom and the dad – they were all just like super close and the siblings and Aww. you know the dad was especially close with her like she was a big daddy's girl and they did everything together and you know he was very supportive of her dance and everything and he killed her yeah that's what i thought it's always <laughs> the dad it's always the dad um so the car was located near mission ridge which is about 40 miles from her home oh so mackenzie's purse and some clothes were found in the car, although her debit card and cell phone were missing. Hmm. So, according to police, only one pair of footprints were found at the scene. Uh, so, the Chelan County Sheriff's Office began the investigation, and they used a helicopter to search the area uh, where her car was found. Um, search warrants were issued for Mackenzie's phone records and social media activity. And then at the request of the sheriff, the FBI was actually called in to help. Wow. Yeah. Um, her parents, friends, I mean, the whole community was just Aww. confused and heartbroken. Um, people started canvassing, you know, all the neighborhoods, just mm-hmm. trying to get any information. So then on the afternoon of February 13th, so a few days later, uh, Mackenzie's body was discovered on the banks of the Columbia River near Quincy, Washington, which is about 20 miles from Wenatchee. Okay. So she was found fully clothed with her feet in the water. And... An autopsy determined the cause of death was strangulation and stab wounds to the neck. Personal. Yeah. Mackenzie also suffered blunt force trauma to the head. And the killer apparently attempted to saw off one of her arms (gasps) after death. Oh, I wonder why. No idea. So a knife was found still stuck in her shoulder. (gasps) Oh, so it was high. I was picturing like the elbow, but no, the whole fucking arm. Yeah. And obviously they couldn't. So they just like gave up and like. uh, I wonder if they're trying to take it as a trophy. (laughs) Probably. Who fucking knows? Um, But investigators found no evidence that Mackenzie had been sexually assaulted. So on February 25th, they had a memorial service for Mackenzie. Um, they held it at the Toyota Center, and 1,800 people showed up. Whoa. I don't even know 1,800 people. Well, I think a young woman like that who, I mean, you know, so many high schoolers and early 20s who feel so invincible, right? Yeah. And everyone has a daughter or knows someone that age, so, you know, mm. you just want to come out and support and when Ashley's a pretty and, small... You know, feel your... You know, be empathetic and yeah. sympathetic to what's happened. That's probably the whole town. Yeah. Fuck. Yeah, and she was involved in a lot of stuff, you know? So it's probably all those people plus their family plus mm-hmm. their families. And... Wow. Okay. So investigators first questioned her boyfriend, Joaquin, of course. 
Um, they had him do a lie detector test, and they kept him as a suspect. They also interviewed Wendy, which is her mom, Reed, her dad, and all family members. Mm. Um, they figured it had to be someone close to her because she must have been meeting someone, right? Like, like Aaron, I would – I don't know. I, I can see maybe – well, they would have had record, though, if, like, her boyfriend had called her and not left a message. And so then she, like, you know, message, hey, what's up? And I'm like, why did you call? Right. But they would have record if he would have called her back or messaged her, be like, hey, meet me at this place, you know? Yeah. So it almost seems like it couldn't be the boyfriend because she was saying, hey, what's up? Yeah, she was saying that to know? him. So it's like she wasn't going to meet him. Right. Do we know who did it? Well, we'll get into okay. that. Okay. I was just wondering if it was an unsolved or if there's an answer at the end. It's a questionable answer. Oh, uh, okay. Um, okay, so her boyfriend, Joaquin, um, was really close with her family. Like, her family was like, they loved each other. He was a great kid, blah, blah, blah. Like, there's no way, you know, he could have done this. And he he's Hispanic. And Joaquin, on the interview, was saying the investigators asked him three times if he was a gangster. Oh, my god! Just gosh. because of his skin color. Like, dude, it's not gangster. It's cholo. <laughs> <laughs> but, like... No kidding. I'm married to a Hispanic. I can say that. Can you? <laughs> Probably not. No. So, police checked, you know, his alibi. His alibi was airtight. So, whatever. They were just like, okay, but he's, he's not... But he's someone of color, and so... Exactly. just keep And her pushing. boyfriend. I mean, the boyfriend, yeah, is probably a pretty big card. Yeah. So then they move on to Joey Fisher. Joey Fisher was the boy boyfriend of Wendy, which is Mackenzie's mother. Mm-hmm. They know that Mackenzie and Joey did not get along. So apparently they had a big fight the day before she went missing. So they looked into him, but there was no evidence to tie Joey Fisher to Mackenzie's murder. So he was exonerated by police. Ooh. Did the mom stay with him after that, I wonder? I think that would be so no weird. Idea. Like, you're dating this guy who's being questioned your daughter's murder. Yeah. Ooh. I didn't see him in any of the that's, interviews, that's... so probably not. Yeah. I, like, just even have that little bit of doubt in your mind that right. he might have been the one. So the investigation into the murder uh, was stalled. Two months passed by. And then an unexpected witness emerged. Ooh. Her name is Liz Reed. So Liz was a college student. Um, she went to the police and said that she saw a video of Mackenzie being murdered. What? So police were like, what the heck, you know? So um, Liz was actually working with the police as an informant because she was into drugs. She had a really bad history with drugs and selling them and everything. So Liz named Sam Cuevas and Emmanuel Saros, which they are two convicted criminals and drug dealers who Liz hung out with. Mm. So she says that Sam and Emmanuel abducted Mackenzie and then killed her near Crescent Bar. Um, Liz told the police Mackenzie died uh, 
because a horrible case of mistaken identity uh, that the guys wrongly thought she was in the drug world too and a police informant so they thought she was Liz no because she was still I mean friends with them at the time okay she said that one of the guys oh Sam told Liz I choked that bitch to shut her up (gasps) so you know the detectives were like so Sam told you that they murdered Mackenzie and she said yeah um Sam said that they had to choke her twice because after the first time they thought she was dead and she wasn't so police you know were like okay like let's look into this you know then Liz claims that she provided more details to the cops, including a description of the knife that was used during the attack. And apparently she had information um, that wasn't made public. Where's the video? Well, just wait. Oh, okay. So detectives are looking into this, and then they go to the video. Um, so they said... You know, you said the killers told you, and then they showed you a video. And she said yes, and she was crying, and she said to have to watch somebody be tortured um, like they did to her and kill her and laugh about it, it never goes away. So the investigation had been dragged on for seven months now. Police investigators have come to the conclusion that they obviously can't trust Liz Reed. So... Cops spent months looking for this gruesome murder video. Oh, they found okay. nothing. They found no video. Huh. They, but they're confused as to why she. Yeah. You know. That's my next question. So then, under pressure, Liz retracted her story, and retracted her seeing a video. Um. So the interviewer on Forty Eight Hours was uh. like, "You completely changed your story," and she said, "I did." Uh, She says she felt threatened by police, and apparently they said that they were going to charge her with murder because she was a part of it. I don't know. So she was terrified. Um, She obviously didn't do anything to this poor girl, and the cops just kept saying that, you know, she can't be trusted. Yeah. So investigators were frustrated, and months, more months have passed by. Then they looked into... Christopher Wilson. He was a classmate of Mackenzie's at the Academy of Hair Design. Police speculate that Wilson, well, Christopher, and Mackenzie decided to meet. And then that's when the killing happened. Apparently, Chris lived, Chris's apartment was just a couple blocks from the school. Hmm. A CBS News consultant, Jefferson Robbins, he actually does the investigative report for the Wenatchee World, which is the local newspaper. Um, So he found out a lot about Chris Wilson. So he was an artist, musician, had done some artwork and photography that might strike some as dark. Hmm. He also has a tattoo of Hannibal Lecter on his arm. Same. Right? Uh, He didn't fit in with the Wenatchee norm. Uh, Apparently, if it were, you know, a bigger city, he would have fit in better like portland or seattle he was very he looked you know like one of those 
emo kids. Mm. You know, he's a tall, skinny, white boy with dark hair, dark, long, longish hair. Chris's best friend was interviewed. Her name's Amelia. And she is just, like, bamboozled. Bamboozled? (laughs) Yeah. Just because this is ridiculous to her, she said, yeah, he's kind of weird and stuff. And he likes, you know watching scary movies and stuff but he's not a serial killer you know Uh i mean that'd be like all of us doing true crime podcast right like it does seem though with the sawing off the arm that it was somebody's first time right because they didn't do it thought it was gonna be easy yeah which could point to him watching you know silence of the lambs and scary movies where or even saw when the guy saws off his own leg. It doesn't, you know, it, it looked like something that could be done. Right. I don't know. I guess we'll we'll get more into okay. it. So he was fascinated with serial killers, um, but he wasn't, like, obsessed with them. Uh, his friend Amelia just laughed at the interview, and he was like, why are you laughing? And she goes, this is just ridiculous. Police say that... Um, this man named Theo Keys, he was another police informant who just was serving time in jail, apparently was a friend of Chris's, um, and apparently Theo wrote a letter to police saying that Chris was the killer, blah, 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 just like all this story. Mm -hmm. But then police say, you know, we, we need to take it like Liz's story and, you know, we can look into it, but we and can't. And how does Theo know Chris? I don't know. Where's the connection there? I don't know. It's interesting. Yeah. They're friends somehow. I guess Chris also worked at a, a funeral home. Um, of course. Right. But Amelia, Chris's friend, was saying there's, you know, thousands of people working in funeral homes across the country. Like, it's a job and doesn't make him a murderer. Yeah, that's true. Apparently, there was forensic evidence discovered um, by investigators along the Muddy River Bank at Crescent Bar. So police say what led us to Chris Wilson was DNA evidence, his YSTR DNA on a piece of duct tape that also had Mackenzie's blood on it. Oh. So they say, you know, we're not looking into him because he's different or weird or whatever. Like, it was his DNA. But I'll get into that in a little bit. So Crescent Bar, are we talking like a sandbar or like a bar bar where you go get drinks? I have no idea. I didn't look into it. I probably should have. I bet it's like a sandbar. Probably because they're all underage. Because that's what it sounds like. Yeah. I wish they would just say that. Right. For those of us that are (laughs) landlocked, we don't know what that means. So Chris, I guess... Gave uh, police a swab of his DNA on August 11th, um, which is what connected the duct tape to him. Oh. So then detectives asked if he's ever been there, and Chris is like, no, I've never been there. And they said, well, your DNA was. And then Chris said, well, I don't know how that could be, and I want a lawyer. Which, good job, Chris, because you do not need to tell detectives anything. Well, he's Get a seen lawyer. enough movies. He knows. Yeah. He's watched enough Criminal Minds. Yeah. You need to. Oh, was it Amelia? That's why she thinks it's so ridiculous. She stole his DNA. Oh, my God. What? And murdered Mackenzie because she was jealous of her. 
Exactly. It was a personal murder. Exactly it. That's why she couldn't finish sawing off the arm. She was too weak. <laughs> so stupid. No, it's not stupid. Anyways. That's what really happened. Um, so they arrested Chris. Um, then eight months after Mackenzie's car was found, um, Chris appeared in court. Uh, Reed Cowell, which is Mackenzie's dad, he saw Chris and he said, that's him. That can't be him. How could that guy have killed Mackenzie? Because I guess Mackenzie, she was a tall girl. She was I think like 5'9 or something. And she was, you know, physically Athletic. fit. Yeah. yeah. Like, and then this skinny, like, emo kid, like, her dad was like, there's no way. Because it was Mamelia. Yeah. To me, it feels like a woman killed her. Just because there was no, I mean, she was clothed, and the strangling and the stabbing is so personal. Her boyfriend was cleared. But to me, it just feels like a woman. Could be. I don't think it was a man. Um, so his mom, uh, Chris's mom, obviously was very passionate about Chris's innocence. Um, she even said that at the time police believed Mackenzie was being murdered, Chris was with her and they were picking up a plate of cupcakes together. Well, how many times has a mom give an alibi to their child that's being prosecuted? Yeah. You know, it's really hard to like... For me, listening to stories, to believe, like, a wife's alibi, a mom's alibi. You know, Mm -hmm. someone that's so close and has a lot to lose if you go to jail. I don't know. Like, if you were my alibi, no one would believe it. I would never be your alibi. Oh. (laughs) Good night. It's not friends. Definitely not. Oh, my gosh. Finish your story. Well, I'm fucking trying, but you keep interrupting. Okay. So, investigators searched Chris's apartment, and they found a stain on the carpet. They tested the stain, and it was the blood of Mackenzie. And there was also a video that Chris's friend took. Um, and they showed the video, and he was asking if his apartment looks clean. And she goes, clean, I mean, considering. And so Chris's lawyer, or sorry, uh, the police believe that he was asking if it looked clean enough, like, after the crime scene. Why would you do that on video, though? I don't know why she was videotaping it. He even told her. He was like, stop videoing it. Um, But he was apparently, what Chris is saying is he was trying to get the deposit back for his apartment because he was moving out. Oh. So. Yeah. But like, you take it out of context and what he's being charged with. It sounds super sketch. So that friend kind of fucked him over that way. It was Amelia, wasn't it? No, it's a different (laughs) friend. Amelia did it. Chris's lawyers believe that police planted the blood in the apartment. Oh. Um, his lawyer actually had a really bad relationship with the Wenatchee police. He thinks they're all corrupt. What? Apparently in the 90s, this lawyer was prosecuting these child rapists. And somehow, like, all these people were wrongfully convicted. And police planted a lot of things on them. <gasps> like, it was a whole big thing in Wenatchee. So he was defending or prosecuting? Because you said prosecuting, which means he used to work for the city. What do you mean? Well, you said he was prosecuting child rapists, but so that would mean he's a prosecutor. Right. He was a prosecutor. Oh, okay. And okay. then now he's defending. Okay. So he got sick of their bullshit and yeah. moved over. Yeah. Okay. 
That makes sense. Yeah, he couldn't work with them anymore because he knew how corrupt the Wodenatchee police are. That's insane. Yeah. Whoa. So his lawyer says if, you know, if Chris killed Mackenzie in his small, tiny apartment, first of all, why did she go there? Yeah. Second, there's no blood anywhere else. If he stabbed her in the throat and then tried to saw off her arm, there would be blood splatter in more places than just a tiny stain in the carpet. Yeah, like the car. Like any, yeah. Yeah. And then they would have to transport her body. Yeah. And there probably would have been video footage. Like I'm sure the apartment complex parking lot probably has CCTV or something, right? Something. Or someone would have seen something of him carrying a body to his car at 3 o'clock in the afternoon. Because it was Amelia. It just doesn't make sense. So police insisted on Chris's obsession with serial killers and the show Dexter. And how Dexter always kept his crime places clean. Put like... Plastic. Plastic Mm -hmm. everywhere. But no one found plastic. No one found... (laughs) like. It just is ridiculous. I'm, I wonder, too, did Chris even own duct tape? Right. Like, huh. his apart. I mean, he's a teenage boy, you know? It just doesn't make sense. So there was a lot of shit going on, and somehow police convinced the jury that Chris was guilty. Wow, that's insane. So, it sounds like a lot of murky. Yeah. Like, it's sketchy. Going on over yeah. There. So Chris ended up taking a plea agreement um, for lesser time in prison. So the agreement meant that he had to write down and verbally agree that he killed Mackenzie for 14 years in prison. Oh, jeez. It's... Like the jury's already found him guilty, right? So he doesn't have a chance to... So he's supposed to be released in 2023 um, with like good behavior and stuff. But I was looking, there's no updates as of recently, but there's a lot of people, like, putting on petitions online saying he's wrongfully convicted. There's no actual evidence of Chris being at his apartment during this quote-unquote killing. So when they picked up cupcakes, was there, like, a clerk that saw Chris with his mom when they picked up these cupcakes? Like, I wonder if there's anybody else in town, I'm just wondering out loud, that saw them together. You know, because if they went to this, like, Safeway or a cupcake shop to get cupcakes, unless he stayed in the car, yeah, he would have been seen. Right. And someone there to corroborate, right? Yeah. But it also just doesn't make sense because there's no DNA. There really isn't oh, any so the evidence. the what is it the Y yeah um, Y R T Z yeah Y S T R DNA. Um, apparently, I looked into that, and like hundreds of thousands of people have the same Y S T R DNA. Oh no shit! So it's not your. It's, it's not even um, conclusive. Right, right. So it could have been anyone. Yeah, in that doesn't even that that means nothing. Right. So. Whoa. That's why they were just so pissed because they don't have any good evidence. And the only thing that they keep saying is his obsession with all these serial killers, which I am too. Like, I freaking had a Hannibal marathon. Doesn't mean I'm going to go out and kill someone, you know? You could say, though, on the other playing devil's advocate here, Mm -hmm. you haven't had any more 
mysterious deaths or people missing limbs since he went to prison. I looked at both sides, too, because when I first was doing the story, I was like, oh, my God, he fully did it. Like, uh-huh. whatever. But they weren't even friends. Like, they went to the same school, but they weren't, like, in working together or anything. He said they never had a conversation. Like, she went to that school, but might have been a different time than him or whatever. And if she was going to go meet him, there would be record of that in her phone. Right. And or his phone. And Both, they're not friends know. on social media. There's no messages yeah. in between. Like, there's nothing to link him to her. What if they were having a secret love affair? But how? Yeah. You know, there's no... It, do- it totally... It just doesn't make doesn't, sense. No. There's not enough proof to convict this poor teenage boy for 14 mm-hmm. years. And then when he gets out in 2023... Okay, how is he supposed to function? I mean, there's right. going to be that on that record that he admitted to murdering someone in cold blood. Mm-hmm. What What are you going to do with that? Where are you going to get a job? Yeah. Probably the school district. I mean, you think of how scared you are that, like, you're willing to say that you killed her to get lesser time in prison because either way, you're getting time in prison because they already convinced the jury yeah, that you're guilty. Yeah, yeah, no cho- so, really no choice. It's either, like either 14, 14 years or life. Yeah. Exactly. Shit. It's it's pretty sad. So Chris's lawyers do believe it is those two men that Liz said it was. And I guess Liz even took um, the reporter from 48 Hours to the place where it happened. Mm-hmm. But, you know, police decided not to look more into it. Like, I wonder if they did a thorough investigation if they could have found yeah actual like dna evidence or something it's just and she knew the murder weapon like she knew the exact type of knife and it looked like one of those like sawing knives you know serrated yeah it looked like Uh like i don't know it's it's so sad there's too many twists and turns Mm -hmm. and I do feel bad if he obviously didn't do this. And that I'm sucks. sorry, Amelia. I said it was you. Yeah. I only brought Amelia in. <laughs> Kidding. She listens to our podcast. Probably not. So it's almost like an unsolved murder, but. I, I would say it is. I do yeah. too. I'm not I, convinced it was him. I'm not either. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm not convinced at all. Okay, um, I do have a little ghost story <gasps> in our little town of Wenatchee. Okay, so um, I got my information from WA Haunted Houses and then hauntedplaces.org. So this is the Ivy Wild Bed and Breakfast in Wenatchee. Um, it is believed that a man once murdered his wife's lover after <gasps> catching the two of them. Scandalous. The husband killed the man on the stairs and oh. it is believed that you can still hear the footsteps on those stairs. And some visitors have also claimed to have seen blood stains on the stairs. Okay, so I'm going to read a couple... Um, Blood stains are still on the stairs. Ooh. Yeah. This one person named Darla, she says, this used to be my dad's house and I lived there. And you could tell this house has a lot of activity. The stair stories are absolutely true. Not only do you hear them, but you feel 
them behind you when you, you were going up or down. Like they are right on top of you and you can stop and still hear them at times. Ooh. Lots of activity in the kitchen and my dad's bedroom where my friends and I would often hear music, voices, footsteps, and more. And um, I th- we would think there, where there was a party happening only to find out later when they came home that no one else had been in the house. <gasps> um, she said the basement creeped her out, but nothing had ever happened. Uh, The first experience she had was around 3.30 in the afternoon. She had come home from school, laid on her pillows, um, and books at the foot of her bed. Wait, what? She just learned how to type. (laughs) Uh, Laid my pillows and books at the foot of my bed with my TV on, went to take the dog out back, and came back to find my TV off, Pillows and books and blankets thrown back between the bed and the wall. What? So, which meant the bed had to be moved because the bed was up against the wall. Oh, my gosh. Uh, She said the French door to the TV room of the dining room was also used used to randomly swing open or close with no drafts. And then um, she just said there was just a lot of activity. Oh, I want to go there. And then another girl, Katie, said about 14 years ago, my stepdad's parents owned this bed and breakfast where we lived for about a year when we moved back to Wenatchee. I can remember being so terrified no matter where I was in the house. It wasn't a kid's usual, like, scared to be alone in the room type of thing, but she was legit scared that someone was behind her. Oh. It was just constant uneasiness. Uh, she said the stories about the stairs are 100% true. Oh. She said, I can remember running up and down them as a kid saying out loud, there's no such things as ghosts. Go away, Satan. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> she said she never saw any blood, but that's probably because she was too busy running up and down. I would Didn't be too if I were scared. Yeah. She said the theater room was the next scariest. It was dark and all the way on the top floor. And there were many times my brothers and I would hear things, see things fall over, movies, glitching out, etc. And then she said there was a room next to the theater that she was too scared to even go in. She never opened the door. And then uh, she never went to the basement because some of family was living down there. Oh. So she said definitely haunted. That's crazy. <laughs> yeah. I looked it up, though, and I it said permanently closed. Oh, darn so it. So I don't know if that's because of COVID right now or. I wonder if it's a victim of COVID, though, like they went under because. Probably. Of it. Shit, probably. Or because of Satan. <laughs> that, too. Satan. <laughs> well, that's all I got. That was good. Thanks. Thank you. Good one. Yeah. Well, you guys can uh, follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Murder of Ages. And if you want us to do your hometown area, give us an email at murderofages at gmail.com. And don't 
if you're not in the Pacific Northwest, that's okay. Maybe. Send it anyways. Yeah. That would be fun to do somewhere else. That would be fun. Branch out a little bit. So much fun. Yeah, we don't have a county for next week, so I think we're just going to wing it. Yep. Just going to do it. Mm Mm-hmm. All right. Close us out. Toyu Perverse Notorious Waste. We'll meet you there.